Church, we are in a summer series called Miracles. Say miracle. Miracles. We're specifically, if you're new, we're specifically looking at miracles that Jesus did. Um, Say 37. 37. That's how many uh, most people believe miracles are recorded in the Bible that were done at the hands of Jesus. I, on the other hand, believe that number is off a little bit myself. Turn to your neighbor say, it's actually 38. Tell your neighbor it's actually 38. So it's, I think it's 38. So um, the reason why I tell you that is because there's a miracle that, that Jesus proclaimed and then, and then backed up with action that I've never really heard anybody say that it's a miracle, but I'm telling you it is. And when I tell you what it is, you're going to know that it is. One day Jesus was walking with his disciples and he was asking them, he's like, who are the people saying that I am? Uh, you know, because people were talking about Jesus. He had already done a lot of miracles. And people were talking, some good, some not. So his disciples were like, oh, some say you're like John the Baptist. And some say you're the, the prophet Elijah. And, and then Peter's like, oh, no. Then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter leans in and says, you are the Messiah, son of a living God. And Peter nailed it. He got a lot wrong, Peter did, but he nailed that one. And Jesus said, that's right. And then Jesus said, now I say to you that your name is now Peter. And he's talking to Peter, but he's talking to you and me as well. And he says, in Matthew 16, 18, he looks at Peter and he says, "And, and on this rock, talking to Peter, but not just Peter, everybody who's a believer, on this rock, on this rock, on this rock, I will build my church. That's what Jesus said. And he said, the gates of hell will not conquer it. And then Jesus' plan starts to unfold that that we're the rock. Not just Peter himself, but that was a, a symbol of us as believers being the rock that Jesus would build his church on. Isn't it insane? Of all the ways that Jesus could reach his world, his people that have gone wayward or they're lost, he could do anything. Snap his fingers, do what, you know, say a magic word. He don't need you or I. He chooses to use you or I. He chooses us to be the vehicle, Meadows Church to be the mechanism to go into the greater Omaha and surrounding area and reach people in his name, be ambassadors on his behalf, represent him. That's a miracle. We get a front row seat to the grace of God. That's a miracle. So Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. See, he, he died, he rose from the dead, and then he commissioned those, those people, those new believers, to go be the church. And here we are today. So we, we lean in today, today's message because now we get to see that church, that rock that Jesus said he would build the church on, in action. And uh, I'm so excited because uh, my boss... And our district superintendent, uh, and if you don't know about any of those things, you should stick around for the meeting at 1230, but is here, and he's going to deliver a message called the power of the church. So if you would, give a warm welcome to the Reverend Billy Wilson. Thanks, Monty. That was, uh, that was great. There's a lot of introduction there. 
leaves you hanging with my boss and you've never seen me before and that's just kind of weird to you right now. So who is this guy and why is he here? And all good questions and we'll, we will get to that later on. I, <clears throat> I want to jump straight to the message though. So let me, I, I want to set this up and, and, and just kind of take it from where Monty left it for you there. Because the, the story that we're going to hear about today is, a, is about a man who had come to the end of his rope. I have no clue why this rope is here. Is there a reason why the rope's here? Is this to keep people from stumbling off the stage? Has that happened before? You tripped off? It's, it's got a reason. I, but I just thought, how appropriate that there's a rope here because we're going to hear a story today about a guy who had come to the end of his rope. And he had thought, my life is over. He, he literally was ending his life in the story. He had, he had come to the place where he had given up all hope to the point where he's just like, it is over, there is no hope, and he had pulled out his sword to kill himself when Jesus changed his life in an instant. So I just wonder if there are any here today, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you know who you are, that, that you, you might feel like that. You might feel like, well, I walked into this room, but my hope is kind of gone. All the things I've tried have not worked. All the things I thought would work out for me just haven't come to fruition. And if that's you, I, I need to tell you that you're in this room for a very specific reason. I think you're supposed to hear this story, and I think you're supposed to relate to it in some way. And maybe that's not you. Maybe, maybe that's not you today, but maybe you're just like, oh, I was there. Actually, not too long ago, I was there. Or, or 10 years ago, I was there. And you can relate to the, these miracles of Jesus that continue because they continue in people's lives. And every time someone says, I have come to the end of myself and I will trust myself with Jesus, that's the miracle that continues. So let's, let's look at what this story is. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn it to Acts chapter 16. But the, I think uh, all the verses are going to be up on the slides, uh, on the screens uh, so you don't necessarily... Dif- now, I'm going to set up the passage, though. Acts chapter 16, we're going to hear about Paul and his buddy Silas. And they're, they're traveling with uh, a young man that they're mentoring. His name's Timothy. And they're going from town to town in, 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 in a part of Asia. Um, and, and Paul has this vision. So he's, he's at night he's got a, a vision. And in this vision... He sees a man in Macedonia. Macedonia is like northern part of Greece. And he sees this vision of a man who is begging him to come to Macedonia. And Paul wakes up and he says, okay, guys, we've got to stop what we're doing. We're going town to town, starting churches. Uh, we've got to, we just got to basically just pull up everything we're doing because there's a man I had a vision of. Uh, he's in Macedonia. He's begging us to come over because he needs what we have. So Paul gets on a boat. Uh, he and his buddies, his traveling companions, they get on the boat, and they make their way to Macedonia, northern Greece. And he's looking for this man, this man he's had a vision of, this begging him to come over, uh, to, to tell him all about this Jesus. Because at this point, the gospel has not made its way to Europe. This would be the first time the gospel, the story of Jesus, makes its way to Europe. Northern Greece, Macedonia. So Paul gets off the boat, and he's like, he's looking for this man that he's had a vision of. 
What I think is so bizarre about this account is he's looking for a man, he's looking for a man, and he's got a picture in his mind. We don't, we don't know the details of how he's looking for the man. But you know who he meets? A woman. So he's got the vision of a man saying, come see me. And the first convert in all of Europe is a woman. And her name is Lydia. And Paul's going, uh, just, he, he, you just got to imagine the guts it takes to walk into a town that doesn't know a thing about the Bible, doesn't know a thing about Jesus, doesn't just, you just walk and he starts telling people, do, do you know God? Do you think there is a God? Let's just start a conversation. And he meets a woman named Lydia saying, okay, there's something about what you're talking about that I need to hear more of. And, and, and Paul tells her about this Jesus and miracle of miracles, she believes and Lydia starts inviting her friends and her neighbors, and there, there gets to be kind of a, a, a small church beginning in this town called Philippi. And, and, and Lydia introduces Paul to her friends, and, they're, and they're, they're, there's this small group that starts to grow because people are inviting friends, and there's this, here, here, that's the background of the story we're about to read. It's in Acts chapter 16. Let's go. Starting in verse 16. One day... This is Luke is writing. Luke's, Luke's part of the group there. So you got, you got Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, and they're all together, and they're telling people about Jesus. And, and here, here's where they go. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, just picture it, slave girl, demon-possessed, but she's announcing Paul and his companions everywhere they go, these men are from God, and they're going to tell you how to be saved. I don't know how much experience you have with demons, but this is, this is kind of a bizarre one, that they follow around preachers and tell people what the preachers are there to do, kind of bizarre behavior for a demon, but this is what we read. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. More bizarre. Because usually, like, when, when, when you see someone in Scripture performing miracles or casting out demons, usually you picture it done out of compassion. Like, oh, well, I just feel so sorry for this person, so... I'm going, to, I'm going to free the person from the demon or, or you know, enable a cripple to walk or something like that. We see here, Paul, now he's, he's, he's had a hard journey up to this point, so maybe he's just tired, but his, he doesn't perform this miracle out of compassion. You see the word that he used? He got so exasperated. Monty, you ever been exasperated? Probably, Monty's never been exasperated, but I have. And sometimes in ministry, it just wears you out, and you get to the point of just, it's and so you just help people out of exasperation. That's where Paul is. He's like, he's so tired, so worn out, and this, this slave girl has, has bothered him to such an extent, he just turns and he says, demon, come out of this girl. He's out of patience. He's exasperated, but the, the job gets done. Uh, continue on in, in verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth are now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials, 
So these are the people in charge of Philippi. Ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer, okay, so the jailer enters the story. He, he has an important part in the story. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So city officials, slave owners, they don't see this girl as a human, but as a possession. They couldn't care less that she has found freedom from a demon this day. She was an item to possess to them. Didn't care about her torment. They cared about their money. So they incited a riot. And that's one thing Rome didn't tolerate. So they say, okay, you guys are just, we don't even know what you're here for. You're causing trouble. You're inciting a riot one way or another. So we don't tolerate that kind of stuff. They have them beaten and thrown in jail. Now, imagine you're Paul. How would that feel? You're just going around trying to help people get saved. Seems like a noble thing. Seems like kind of a nice thing. And then there's a girl that's possessed. Well, you help her get free of her demon. That seems like a nice thing to do. How is he rewarded for this? He's beaten with wooden rods. He's put into the maximum security part of this jail. That's a bad day if you're Paul. Here's how he responds. Acts 16.25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. That's your day. You're walking around, a demon's following you, you help the girl get free of the demon, you get beaten up, lied about, thrown in prison, and then it's around midnight, you're not sleeping, what are you doing? You're singing hymns to God. Now we don't know the song, maybe it wasn't like, praise God from whom all blessed, maybe he didn't feel blessed at that time. My guess is that it was some sort of a country song. Because when it feels like your day just ain't been fair, you sing country music. And so my, I have no proof for that, but I'm guessing that hymn had some sort of a country uh, slant to it. Uh, continue, verse 26. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its, shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. So these... These men had acted. God had said, yep, I see what you're doing. I've got other plans. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God, sometimes God just sets people free who are in prison because he's decided that's what I'm going to do. That's my agenda. Sometimes people stay in prison. God is still God. Whether you stay in prison or get freed from prison, we'll, we'll come back to that point. God is still God. He's got an agenda. Move on. Verse 27. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. This is just the most bizarre chain of events. The jailer who had overseen their beating, and now he put them in chains in the most maximum, part, maximum security part of the prison, so, so he hasn't been nice to them. This jailer has not been their friend to this point. 
if you're Paul and you see the jailer with his sword about to thrust it into his chest, you might just say, that's what you get. I might say that. Paul says, no, 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 no. You just don't understand what's been going on. Let me explain it to you. See, Paul understood this. He didn't know what was going to happen next, but he knew there was something next. Just because you can't see what's next doesn't mean there's not something next. Paul lived in anticipation. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to get killed in this jail. I just know Jesus is in charge. There's something next. The jailer didn't have the same faith. He didn't have a belief that there's something next. So He said there's nothing next. In fact, it's over and I'm done. Let's end this thing now. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights, after he hears Paul saying, don't kill yourself. Jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question. Because everything else, as far as the jailer could see, had just gone wrong. His one job, he's failed at. He knows he's going to get killed. He knows Rome is going to hold him accountable for this jail thing, these prisoners escaping. So he's asking Paul, like just a very practical question, what do I need to do to be saved? It may not even be a spiritual question at that point. He just knows, I have no clue where to turn now. Can you tell me what I need to do to be saved? Here's their reply. Verse 31, believe In the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. We see the word believe there a couple of times. I want to talk about that to see what, what, what Paul's inviting them to do is more than just think something or agree with something or recite a creed. Paul is inviting this jailer to do more than just agree because believe means more than agree. Believe means follow. And what Paul is telling the jailer It's like, okay, you thought you were in charge of your life, and that's why you were about to end it. I need you to put someone else in charge of your life and acknowledge Jesus' authority over your life and do the next thing that Jesus is asking you to do. Say yes to Jesus. So here, contrast the behaviors. Contrast what faith looks like and what unfaith looks like. Contrast what the Jesus followers we're about to do with the one who is not a Jesus follower and what he was about to do. The, the Jesus follower, Paul and Silas, there's like, yep, nothing was fair about that at all. Now we're in jail. What do you guys want to do? Let's sing songs because we're pretty sure God's still in control of this. So let's sing psalms, hymns of praise to the one that we still know is in charge of our situation. The jailer didn't believe, had no hope, had no idea that God, that there was a God who would intervene on his behalf. So his action, if you think about it, his action to pull out his sword and end it all was kind of logical. 
for his state of faith at the time. Kind of logical for someone who has no hope at all. Believers never have no hope. And this is what it looks like to live by faith, to believe. So let's talk about believe. Because the, the word believe has, over the years, it's gotten a little kind of lost in translation from what the Bible meant when it said believe and what our Western interpretation of that means. There's a New Testament scholar that I really like. His name's N.T. Wright. Recommend his books, recommend his writing. And because what I love what he does is he provides a lot of cultural background uh, to some of the important beliefs that uh, scripture unpacked. So, so he takes what was a kind of an Eastern, Middle Eastern mindset, and, and, and we're in a Western context 2,000 years later. He says, This is what they would have thought at the time. So, so here's what he says He says, Our, our, our misunderstanding is actually important. So to repent and believe. What, does, what would that have meant to, like, the jailer? And if we don't get it, it's kind of a misunderstanding of discipleship itself. So, so here's kind of a long quote, but, but when I read this, it really just kind of a light bulb went on in my head of what believe meant to someone in the New Testament and maybe what it's inviting us to do today. Here's, here's what N.T. Wright says. He says, if I were to go out on the street in my local town and proclaim that people should repent to believe, what they would hear would be a summons to give up their private sins. And one suspects that in our culture, sexual misbehavior or alcohol or drug abuse would quickly come to mind. So give up their private sins and get religion in some shape or form, either experiencing a new inner self or inner sense of God's presence or believing a new body of dogma or joining the church or some subbranch of it. Get this. He says, but that is by no means exactly what the phrase repent and believe meant in the first century. Okay, here's where it gets kind of good. Wright, uh, N.T. Wright uh, quotes a first century historian by the name of Josephus. And so Josephus uh, is, is talking to a brigand leader uh, when he, so, so there's a leader that's like revolting, rebelling against the local authorities, and Josephus is pleading with this leader, and he says, when, when Josephus tells this local leader to repent and believe, he says this. He says he was not challenging the leader to give up sinning and have a religious conversion experience. It has a far more specific and indeed political meaning. He was telling his hearers, uh, here's the key, to give up their agendas and to trust him for his way of being Israel. So this is what Josephus is saying. So give up your agenda, local brigandly. Repent. Stop, doing, stop living by your agenda and pick up this other agenda. In particular, he says, he was urging them, as Josephus had, to abandon their crazy dreams of a nationalist revolution. So, so, so set your agenda aside and pick up another agenda. The call to believe. Here's what Paul is saying to the jailer. Believe in Jesus meant give up your way of doing things because it's not really working out too well for you and follow another agenda. Trust that Jesus' way is better than your way. Do what he says. So what we truly trust, that's what we believe. And we've, we've, we've somehow demoted beliefs to something we hold in theory 
but we don't really necessarily put it into practice. If we've made our belief some idea that's just kind of private to us or some collection of things that we, that we may or may not affect our behavior about something or other. But to believe means that you follow. So practically speaking, in this jail, when Paul stops the jailer, Paul's inviting the jailer to just do simply what he and Silas were doing at that time. They're going about their lives. The jailer's going about his life. Things didn't go right for either of them that day. They were doing a good thing, helping the girl. They get beaten, thrown in jail. But they realize, you know what? We're just doing what we know best. We were going around like Jesus told us to do, telling people that there's hope. We're telling people to give up their way for Jesus' way. And here's what we find ourselves. We find ourselves in prison. Things didn't go like they thought it would. But they were following Jesus. That's the point. So they assumed that Jesus would lead them through that place and eventually out of that place. Or not. They didn't know if they would ever leave that place. But their attitude was this. We're not in charge. We're going to be faithful whether it feels good or not. And they were following someone, and even in the dungeon, shackled, sore, maybe confused, they were still following. Do you, do you follow when things just don't seem to be going right? Can you still follow knowing that you can't see what's next, but you know there is something next? Here's what I find so amazing. He, Paul, years later, Paul would write a letter to these Philippians. So, so all this took place in a town called Philippi in Macedonia, northern Greece. Paul would move on from that place after he's released, and then he would go throughout the, the rest of, of Greece, starting churches. Now, eventually, Paul would find himself in prison again. And, he, and he's remembering these people that he had led to Jesus in Philippi, and he's writing them a letter from a Roman prison this time. And he's remembering that, you know, I remember that jailer, he's trying to, he, he was trying to end his life, but his life wasn't his to end, and so his life was his to give. And he's, he's remembering Lydia and how she brought people to Jesus. And he, and he writes them a letter. Now, by this point, Paul has been beat up several more times. And he's been put in jail several more times and released. And, and he's just like, I, I, my life is not my own. He had given his life over to someone else a long time ago. He had given up rights to his own life to someone who would do much better with it than he had. And he writes something to these Philippians that I think gives an idea of how, how loosely we're supposed to hold our lives. He says these words knowing that the jailer who had tried to take his life years earlier would read them. He says it this way. He says, you know, for me, living means living for Christ. 
And he's so worn out by this point. He says, you know, but, but dying would be even better. How hard does your life have to be when you just say that one day? You know, I just wish I could die. And not being like out of hope. He just, he had this realization, the next life is going to be so much better than this one. And it is. But Paul said, it's not, my life is not mine to take. He was so done. He was so tired. He was so, he was so ready to just go and be with Jesus. He just, I just, I'm ready to die. I have run my race. I am ready to move on. But living means living for Christ. So it's not mine to take. It's mine to give. Now, it just so happened that this time, Paul would not be freed from prison by an earthquake or a rescuing angel or anything like that. Actually, he would, at this point, he would spend the rest of his life in prison until he was killed for, for his beliefs. But Paul was okay with that because he was not following his own agenda. He had believed in another. He's following another. He had let another set the agenda for his life. As, as we close, and we're going to sing a song here in a moment, I, I'll just ask you this question. What is Jesus asking you to do today? What's the step he's asking you to take? What's, what's the agenda you've been following that maybe has led you to a place where you're just like, I've, I've, I've made a mess of it. I need someone else to run this thing because I just can't do it on my own anymore. I need someone else to have an agenda because mine is broken. We're talking about the miracles of Jesus and you have to understand when Jesus makes this invitation to repent and believe and follow me, it's not just something that you subtly change in your mind and you go on the rest of your life. It's like, okay, someone else is now running my life. And that's a daily conversation you get to have with the one who keeps running your life. Because he doesn't just give you orders and set you out and doesn't talk to you again. He's talking to you every day and his agenda for you is there every day. And that conversation continues. Okay, what is it today, Jesus? What's the agenda today? Continue that conversation. Maybe that's your step. Is I've just, I've, I've never really consulted Jesus about my day and I need to change that. Maybe that's a step. Maybe it's something just really dramatic. Like you found yourself at the end of your rope and, and and you'd just, you'd just be glad for this all to be over, but just like, you know, I would be glad to move on to the next life, but, but, my life is not mine to take, it's mine to give, and that's what you need to do today, is to put Jesus in charge of your life, maybe for the first time. There are cards that you can communicate that on because someone needs to talk to you about that decision. There's prayer teams that would be glad to pray with you in this room, they'll, they'll be waiting for you. During this song, you need, to make a t you need to take a step, though. You need to take a step and, and give your agenda to the one who's going to do a lot better with it than you have. What can happen when you're ready to surrender? I want to say a prayer with you, and you can, 
You can pray it like this. You can use your own words. I just want to invite you to take that step today to, to surrender your agenda for someone else. Pray with me if you would. Jesus, we take this invitation seriously. The miracle that you continue to build your church through people like us who've made such a mess of our lives, this precious one and only life that you've given us, we make a mess of it and you just say, okay, are you ready? Are you ready for something special to happen? And we're, we find ourselves today, Lord, ready for that special thing to happen. Where we can give, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe we, we thought we gave control over to you a long time ago, but we've been wrestling it back from you ever since. So take it back and pry our fingers open so that we can hold our lives loosely today, give it to you, and live it for you. Let our lives matter in that way. Give us the grace to take that step. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. But don't stop there. Like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. And not only that, share this message with a friend or somebody that you know. So many people out there need hope and encouragement, and you have the ability to bring that to them. Finally, if you're in the Omaha area, we would love to have you join us. We would love to meet you. God bless you.